so if you have a question, then you can just speak up. Yeah. So there are not so many. So, and I don't have particular a particular plan what I should say. Uh, well, I don't have something to cover, but I can continue to talk. So that's <laughs> that's not the thing. But you can just interrupt me. Um, so one uh, thing is, uh, what is interesting, um, well, an interesting aspect of this will be how, how to make the view of no system and no practice not just another kind of belief, not just another kind of view, another kind of map. Yeah? So, um, there's now eight verses uh, around uh, deconstructing the eight yanas, and then the rest of the book is about the ninth yana, this, the view of no view. And uh, it's very, it's, it's common, uh, and it's going to happen probably for us that uh, we will start to discover that we just adopted another belief system, the belief system of no practice and no view. Yeah. So how to get out of that? Is, uh, it's, uh, and, but can not quite well, uh, there's discussion around this. So this is something you can observe. You know, people are followers of, of non-duality. Yeah. And they, you know, everything is awareness, and I'm awareness, and, and stuff like that. And things like this are set in this text also. But uh, we can be already become aware. If we become now a follower of, you know, everything is awareness, everything is consciousness. Uh, and then we make a, then we're confusing um, a belief system which we can you know, memorize and we can say the right sentences, we can even start to teach it from the experience, which is undescribable and ungraspable. So, this one thing. And this will be later addressed in the text. I mean, there's books and books written around the view of no view. <laughs> Philosophies. And then there's different schools of no view. Yeah? So the vision. So you can study the rest of your, uh, you know, you can study Advaita Vedanta and everything. You can study all of that. Uh, you can spend you can spend your lifetime to understand the philosophy of non-duality. And you can be good at that. You can, you, know, you can, you can start to be able to talk about it and teach and and uh, and make it more and more sophisticated, more and more books to read. And and then you, at one point, you hopefully recognize, yeah, I'm now a, a believer of non-duality, and I'm really good at it, really sophisticated. I can explain it to people, but 
I lost the taste of it, which is the mystery. So the another addition to what I said is, you know, this um, the hall of mirrors. So this is, you know, and we will go back in into this uh, throughout the next meetings. Um, exploring what is thought. With, uh, with the curiosity. I mean, imagine someone who never had a thought. How would you explain to that person what is a thought? Yeah. And leaving the, putting the books on conscious philosophy and neuropsychology in in the in, into the i mean you could you could try to explain thoughts by explaining what is happening in the brain but that's not what is meant here so this is a kind of inquiry question and obviously there's no answer to that question but it might Help us to look at a certain, in a new way at thoughts. What, are they, what is actually a thought? Try to explain what is a thought to someone who never had a thought. What is it actually? Yeah. So now the looking is important. The kind of looking, this wondering. Yeah, what is actually a thought? What does a thought consist of? It's, a, it's, a, it's astonishing to start to discover that you can look at thoughts. You can start to discover the difference of being lost in the house of mirrors and looking at the thoughts. And how do thoughts make you feel? Which kinds of thoughts make you feel certain ways? Are you just thoughts? Is that all what you are? And here we are particularly referring to discursive thoughts about me. So we, this is not saying that thoughts are bad and that we should abandon thoughts. And yeah, so you no, know, we also there's a you know there's planning, there's creative thinking, but there's that the majority of our thoughts belong to the category discursive me thoughts. It's about me. Yeah. So observe that. Yeah. Just notice that. Yeah. Wow. It's about me. Now that's why I call this uh, 
it's just something I came up with. I don't know if it makes sense, but the radio station of the narrative self. Yeah, this movie in our head. You know, if you would, if we would imagine that movie, the like three quarter of the of the screen is filled with me. <laughs> And then there's a little side figures there, other people and the environment and, and things like that. But it's this huge me in there. And, and we are sitting in, in the theater. Nobody else is there because nobody is interested in this fucking boring movie about me. <laughs> we are the only visitor. But we are also... We are not only the, the only visitor, we are also the creator of it. So I'm not saying uh, this to abandon thoughts or to, you know, because uh, no, there is, so we, we are not going into the extreme, you no, know, because there is, there is validity in thoughts. Some, some thoughts are important. Um, but um, So it's not about abandoning thoughts or putting them down or seeing as an enemy. The problem is actually our relationship to thoughts, the way we relate to thoughts, the way we get lost in the house of mirrors. The, the, the way, the way we, we feel that we are the radio station of the narrative self, that we are that, and that there is not, not more to us. So this is a, a practice which is, uh, which is coming from the Mahamudra tradition, or this kind of question, curiosity towards thoughts, learning the difference between being lost in the mirror, in the hall of mirrors, and the aliveness of this moment. If you think about it, these moments where you felt alive, like Being in nature, having a walk, you know, feeling the air, being there, like seeing, feeling, smelling, tasting. You know, these moments which where we feel alive and where there's not much question because this this moment is self-validating. It's it's enough in itself. Probably, in these moments, there were not so much thoughts. You can't, you can't be lost in the mirror hall of your thoughts and enjoying life. Because you are not in touch with life. You are in touch with the past, with the future, with projections.
So, what is a thought? One good question to, to help us in this. It's a kind of disidentification with thoughts. And it's, it, no, if you are, if you are lost in the in the mirror hall and something jolts you out there, like a sunrise or or something, ah, it's so like it's amazing that 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 life can shift so quickly from being being in that prison. No, it fe- it can feel like a prison. You are in the in the hall of mirrors and you feel like a prison. You feel lost, you feel you feel heavy, you feel dark. And then you feel like in a prison. The prison of your past. The prison of the the future, the future you imagine. And then there's this beautiful moments where you can see there is actually no prison. Not a real prison. then you get a sense that liberation is actually possible. Another question in this direction would be, how does this thought, how does this story make me feel? Another question would be, how would I feel without that thought? So again, two questions not to contemplate, but you know, to look. How, how would I feel without that thought? How would I feel without that thought I'm not good enough? How would I feel? And how do I feel with that thought I'm not good enough? So you, you see that I'm good enough is a thought. I'm not good enough is a thought. So I almost forgot to go to the text. So first 1.5. Mind is the source of all experience, patent or free. So mind is the source of all experience, patent or free. Patent or free, that's Ken McLeod's translation of samsara and nirvana. Patent, samsara, nirvana, free. So if you feel rotten, if you feel lost, that is mind. If you feel happy, if you feel relaxed, that is mind. 
If you listen to music, that is mind. If you remember something, that is mind. It's mind. It's always mind. Or in often in when I guide a meditation, at one point I say, I invite you to become aware that whatever you experience right now is an experience within awareness, within consciousness, within mind. And I, I use these three now as synonymous. You can also differentiate. differentiate. So they, the word awareness, consciousness, mind, they are used in different ways, also in the Tibetan tradition. But let's say it's pointing to the same thing, to consciousness, to awareness, to mind. So everything what you experience, you experience within mind, within awareness, within consciousness. And uh, it's something to, to be, to how to say, how to, to wonder about. Wow. Is there something right now in our experience, in your experience, which is not in mind, not in consciousness, not in awareness? Is there something? Maybe, maybe behind. Maybe I can move my eyes so quickly that I can check if there is something behind me, outside of consciousness, outside of mind, is there anything? Was there ever anything in your life? Did anything happen in your life? The good days, the bad days, the good feelings, the bad feelings, what you smelled, what you heard, what you feel. Was there any, ever any experience outside of consciousness, outside of awareness, outside of mind? Or could you imagine that you will ever experience something in the future outside of mind, outside of consciousness, outside of awareness? So these are good questions. And, and you have to actually ask that question and look. So it's not like a question to think about, but you, you, you look right now. And then he continues, he says, you wake up completely when you rest and do nothing at all. And so that's, again, that, that practice which we explored before the break. You wake up completely when you rest and do nothing at all. And... Uh, he also, in his commentary, Ken McCloyd, to this, he points out to what I said before. One challenge of us, uh, one challenge with this is to trust that. Is that really, isn't that irresponsible? Yeah. 
so you're honoring that that voice. You know, isn't that responsible, irresponsible, to rest and do nothing at all? I mean, nothing at all? You wake up completely, he says, when you rest and do nothing at all. Of course, we need to explore what is meant with doing nothing at all. So we are not talking about resignation and giving up and locking the room and, you know, and dying because yeah, I'm doing nothing at all. <laughs> I'm not going to work. I'm not uh, uh, holding my commitments. That's certainly not meant here, is doing nothing at all. It's, uh, it's, uh, it takes time to, to, to find out what does it mean to, 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 do, to do nothing at all. So one of the obstacles here or challenges for us is our addiction to do and to explain. Our addiction for doing and knowing. So, and then he goes into the, you could almost say, attack. Yeah. Instead, you are dogmatic and single-minded in your belief. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine you say that to someone like, you no, know, the the famous monks in the Shravakayana tradition. You know. The historic and the the living today. Dogmatic, you are dogmatic and single-minded in your belief. In the teachings, so in what kind of belief? In the teachings of ignorance, so that's the teachings that we suffer because of the distortion of reality. We suffer because of the attachment to the I. That's the the belief of uh, that's the the no the the belief. And so he says, you are dogmatic and single-minded in your belief in the teachings of ignorance, interdependence, and samsara. So these are like fundamental Buddhist teachings. It's like heresy from the point of view of believer in the system to say something like that. That's, you know, when the I said that before, but when the Buddha taught the Heart Sutra on Vulture's Peak, the audience were mainly Shravakayanas. They spent their whole life in refining their understanding of this view and practicing and here he comes, the teacher who gave them that map. He comes and he pulls the rock under the feet 
of all these Four Noble Truths, Twelve Links of Dependent Arising, Karma, In one Prajnaparamita Sutta, it says, and the monks fainted and vomited blood. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't listen to it. It was too much. How confusing that is. Now, something so precious, something so beautiful. And then the person who gave it to you pulls the rug under your feet. That what was your refuge, that was what was your identity is uh, pulled away. How pleased must, must you be? Yeah, that's like this. How pleased must you be? We love it. We love these systems. We love to be right. We love to know, to understand what's going on. We love, uh, we love uh, explanations which explains what's going on. We're seeking it. And it's, as I said, in my own life, it was such a beautiful moment beautiful months, maybe years, where I felt so pleased. <laughs> where, where, I so, where I felt so pleased with the Lamrim. How pleased you must be, your self-reliant ones. So the self-reliant ones, that refers to the Patekya Buddha, to the uh, self-realizer. Self, they rely on themselves. Yeah? So they, they, th these are people who spend their life in retreat and they rely on their own findings. And... Uh, yeah, and, yet, and they are very pleased with themselves and with their insights. And then he says, how pleased must you be, yourself reliant ones, with your artificial, artificial awakening. So the artificial awakening here refers to, the, to moksha, to self-liberation, the liberation of the Hinayana. And it's artificial. It's incomplete. It's like a cop-out. That's nirvana. Yeah? So the, the middle way, the teachings of, of the Heart Sutra, they go beyond samsara and nirvana. So that's what is meant with artificial awakening, an incomplete awakening, a, a cessation of personal suffering. He calls it artificial awakening.
Yeah, it's, uh, I really encourage you to read the commentary, and not only once, to, 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 to feel, uh, to feel the, to, to go into the commentary of Ken McCloyd with your, with your heart, with your, with your whole being. So maybe we can conclude with this a bit of a kind of a, a meditation which we can apply in this moment. When we look at the flower, its colors and shape are just there. So we are not looking at a flower right now, but we are looking at something. So when we look, the color and shape is just there. It's just there, right? When music strikes our ears, the melody and tones are just there. You can hear the cars outside and people online. You have sounds in your environment and you have my voice. And it's just there. It's just there. It's the same with the other senses. If you drink a coffee, the taste is just there. Thoughts, emotions, feelings, ideas, judgments, and so on. Unbidden, unpredictable, unwelcome, welcome, comforting, disturbing, familiar, strange. These experiences are just there. They just appear like a face in front of the mirror. They are just there. And they come and go. You don't need to create anything or do something. This moment is just there. It just arises. And it doesn't stop. You can't stop it. I mean, try to stop this. Just stop this. It's just there. And it is all mind. Can my God says that? And it is all mind. Mind is the source of everything we experience. 
And then he continues with what I read to you in the beginning. To be awake and present, we do not have to do anything. So not only is what you hear and what you, what you feel, what you think right now is just there, it's just happening by itself. Also the presence, the awareness, the reflective capacity is just there. It's not that in the morning when you open your eyes, everything is just there. But also the capacity of presence is also just there. It's not like you open your eyes and then you need to kind of switch something on and then you are aware. The appearance of the world in the morning when, when, when it comes into, into, into experience happens effortlessly and the awareness of it is happening at the same time. It's not something you need to do. You are on all the time. You were, and that being on, being, being aware, that reflective capacity is, uh, is unbroken. It doesn't stop in the dream states. So if you have a dream, then what arises in your experience is, is probably more obvious that that is mind. It's a bit more obvious than this. But it's the same. It's just another kind of experience. And the awareness of the dream is also just there. So tomorrow, or on the way home, we have no clue what's going to happen. Because it's just there. It's just happening. It's out of control. Everything can happen at any time. Of course, we have kind of projections now and ideas. Yeah. This is the way I go home, and then I go into the train, and then I go out, and then there will be my home. So that's kind of the imagination. But we don't know. Maybe your house burned down. Maybe you have a heart attack on the way home. Everything can happen at any time. It's out of control. You're completely out of control. Completely. But what we can be sure of, I, I as the reflective capacity, will be there. In the heart attack, in coming home, my house is burned down, I lost everything. I, I as the reflective capacity, not I as the owner of the house, not even I as this body, because that's going to disintegrate. 
But I, as the reflective awareness, that I, that me, sometimes called the capital letter self, that will be that will be there. And that's what is that? That's the what he calls later. How does he call it? The away quality of mind is naturally present. Or Tongme Sanpo uses the word mind itself. And then, I read this before, practice consists of recognizing that quality. Recognizing that quality. That is called, in the Tibetan tradition, a pointing out instruction, a glimpse. And again, that's not something we can do. And we don't know when it's going to happen. But when it happens, it's unmistakable. It's self-validating. You don't need to confirm it with someone. You don't. You don't need to. You don't need to read more books about it. And in that moment, seeking completely stops. That doesn't mean that there's cleaning up to do for maybe many lifetimes, yeah? because that recognition doesn't boom dissolve your traumas and addictions, and it's it, it not even necessary, except maybe in that glimpse. It not even make you, makes my, it might not even make you a more happy person, in the relative sense. But Something, something falls away. The seeking. What can happen in glimpses like that is that it becomes a memory. Becomes something which you try to hold or deepen or uh, strengthen or something like that. So the this moment of what you call awakening, which is not enlightenment, this moment of awakening. So this moment where you step out of the hall of mirrors into reality, into this moment, is always fresh. It's not like, oh, now I got it, I'm awakened. I'm done. No, it's fresh. It can always only happen in the present moment. It's nothing you can hold. It's always new, it's always fresh. So. And there's degrees. Yeah? So, and kind of a, a first taste of this could be just this experience of, you know, you are in, a, in the hall of mirrors, 
for days, months maybe, and suddenly you see the sun again. Something. Something happens. You don't know exactly why. Maybe you did a lot of things, you know, to kind of do uh, do some, I have to go, otherwise I miss the train. <laughs> uh, you, you have to, uh, what, what is it? So you do a lot of things and you might think, ah, these are the cause for now me feeling better. Uh, but actually, you never really figure out, why, why was I in darkness yesterday? And today I can sit in the, in the autumn sun. And I'm really here. So that is kind of the beginning of that glimpse. Yeah. And it's happening. So it's not that it is completely alien to us. And we might not even call it some, and maybe, probably it's good not to call it awakening or something like that. No, it's just suddenly I, I there's a relief. I, I dropped something. One of the challenges is that there might be a sense that what is described here is something dramatic. You know, with kind of a, a Hollywood awakening. And then we might miss the, the, the modest, beautiful, gentle Scandinavian awakenings. <laughs> because we want to have the American Ecatolle awakening. Where people suddenly see, wow, you look different. You're so radiant. And then we miss, we miss out on that what is already happening. Okay. Thank you very much. And you online. Thank you. And see you in two weeks. <laughs>